0: hello i'm susan siegel and this is expedientius in this podcast i chat with leading women from around the americas about their professional and life experiences and get their advice for you young women and men too around the world Here with me today is Marta Parcena, the Mexican ambassador to the United States and the first female ambassador in the history of Mexico to hold this position. She is a highly accomplished diplomat serving around the world before arriving in Washington. She manages everything, being an ambassador, but she is also a wife, she is a mother, And she is a new grandmother with a grandchild very far away in a very challenging time. So her career has taken her many places, but it has landed her in Washington, which I believe is the largest embassy for Mexico. And it is so exciting that she's agreed to be here with us today. So, Marta, if I may, could I just start by asking you to just tell us a little bit about yourself? I mean, what what made you decide um, to be such a pioneer and go into the diplomatic service in Mexico?
1: Well, I think there is a combination of experiences and, and of family influences. You know, I am the eldest of six. And um, because after me come four brothers, I kind of spend a lot of my childhood with my grandparents. And I have a a very special grandfather who was uh, a doctor, an x-ray doctor, a radiologist. But he was very special because he lost his hearing when he was 24 years old. Wow. That's why he dedicated his life to radiology. And he was one of the pioneers of radiology in Mexico. And being one of the pioneers of radiology in Mexico, he was the doctor for Frida Kahlo, for example. But among other people, he was the the private radiologist for people as Jaime Torres-Bodet our former foreign minister, Director General of uh, UNESCO, Minister of Education. So one of the things that he wanted and he liked to do on, on Sundays was to drive around Mexico City and show his grandchildren different parts of Mexico City. Oh, wow. So we would drive to the UNAM, to the National University, and he will explain to me, this building is the Faculty of Medicine, I I didn't study here because I studied when the Faculty of Medicine was in downtown Mexico, but here you study to be a doctor. And he would say, and here is the Faculty of Political Sciences. And here you study to become a diplomat or an ambassador as my friend, Jaime Torres-Bodet. And I said, and what is that? I said, well, Jaime Torres-Bodet was a Mexican ambassador to France, and he represented Mexico. So I said, oh, I like to be that and uh and and so maybe that's the first memory that i have of someone talking about the diplomatic career and with a reference to jaime torres Bodet. then i continued my studies i was always passionate how old were you uh maybe about seven or eight years
0: old Wow. That's really amazing that you were influenced at such a young age.
1: Yes. But at the same time, he always was giving me to to read biographies. And my other great heroine was Madame Curie. So I was always looking, what should I be, diplomat or a nuclear physicist as Madame Curie? <laughs> I love Madame Curie. <clears throat> Yes, it was pretty, pretty impressive. And and my grandfather being a radiologist, then the Madame and Pierre Curie, Marie and Pierre Curie were key for him. So I was always passionate about uh, history, geography, literature, Uh, but I I was also trained as, since I was very young as as a classical ballerina. So since I was 13 years old, I used to dance every afternoon after school from 3.30 in the afternoon until eight o'clock. So I wanted to become a professional dancer. But when I ended high school, i had an injury and i wasn't able then to to join uh, a company or to try to get into the royal Ballet or or other or other school <clears throat> so i i had to decide to go to the university or just wait to get better from that injury and i decided to go to university and i went to the universidad iberoamericana the iberoamerican university to study their communications. At that time, Ibero-American University did not have the career of international relations, only UNAM, and UNAM had been in a series of strikes, so you couldn't enter UNAM at the same time that you were leaving high school. So I studied communications, but I always was fascinated by international communications, international press, and, and I was a good student, so in, in one, uh, in one very specific period, the foreign ministry, instead of having an open and public uh, examination, it was uh, an invitation to join the foreign service for the best students of the university. So I was submitted as one of the candidates by the Ibero-American University and I joined the foreign service when I was 21 years old, one of the youngest uh, diplomats. Did you have
0: to take an, an exam to get in? Yes, yes. How many women were there?
1: Well, at the beginning, we were 1,000. I don't know how many women. Then the the group was shortened to 500 and then to 100. And at the end of those 100, we joined the Foreign Service, only eight. And we were four women and four men. Wow. And um, so it was gender parity then. And I think almost since then, most of the exams into the Foreign Service have been uh, gender parity, 50-50 or a little bit. The problem is not to join. The, pro- the problem is to stay in the foreign service because I don't doubt the capabilities of women to pass exams and to join, but then all the rules and administrative procedures and bureaucratic procedures in general are not gender friendly. And it's, it's very difficult for a woman that, especially when you form a family, to continue in the in the diplomatic career is not easy at all. Is that changing? I think it it has slowly changed, not as much as I would like to. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, uh, my husband is also a career diplomat. He joined the foreign service almost uh, one year later than I joined, and that in a way helped us because I understood his job, he understood mine. And you know, I took a leave of absence almost for nine years to follow him when he was consul general to Hong Kong and ambassador to Ireland. And uh, But for other women have not been easy. And I must say that we were the first couple in the Mexican Foreign Service to be ambassadors at uh, the same time. While I was ambassador in Denmark, he was ambassador in Finland. And uh, so we opened the way for other couples that come after us. We were the pioneers.
0: That's fabulous. And how hard was it? You took nine years off mm-hmm. and followed your husband.
1: Yes. Um, which
0: I'm sure was a fabulous decision because you had small children at the time. Yes, I had. And, and then how hard mm-hmm. was it for you to go back into the service? Is that one of the things that is not female friendly?
1: It was not easy. It was not easy. First, when you take a leave of absence of eight years, then you, you have to decide if you want to continue the career or to completely change tracks. I decided I wanted to continue my career, so I organized myself to continue studying all the time. So I went to university to learn Chinese while we were in Hong Kong. I was always writing articles. I was uh, reading and uh, everything on world affairs. And so when I asked to be back to the foreign service, some of my former bosses who were there, I had the fortune that I had very good uh, bosses at the foreign ministry. People like Sergio Gonzalez Galvez, who had just passed away as Miguel Marin, as Andres Rosenthal, as uh, Porfirio Muñoz Ledo. So when I went back to the career, they all said, oh, she has to come back because she's very bright. So they helped me to go, to go back and, uh, and that was extremely helpful for me. So in a way to go back was not difficult, but uh, but by then, my generation had already reached higher ranks that I had. I trusted myself to be able to catch up.
0: And how old were your children when you went back into the service? And, and how did you coordinate going back into the service with your husband?
1: Well, my husband, then when we returned to Mexico uh, after Ireland, because there was a very complex times in Ireland. He was the ambassador of Mexico to Ireland when there was this big disagreement between President Salinas and President Cedillo. And so he he had to take a leave of absence from the foreign service and went back to Mexico and he went to academia. So I returned to, to the foreign ministry and my eldest daughter, Mercedes, was 10 years old and Marta, the youngest one, was eight. And uh, I think there were very important elements for me there. First, that my husband was in academia, so he had a little bit more time to take care of the girls. But second, and even most important, I have my mother Ah. and my family. And, you know, in Mexico, the family network is very important. I said I come from a family of six, so my sister-in-laws, my sister, my mother... They were key. So I couldn't pick up my daughters from school. My mother would go every day to pick them up. Then we organize ourselves with other families and do, you know, like a a kind of, each family picked up the the children every day. Some of these families, they, they have children the same age of my daughters and they are still the best friends of my daughters. So I couldn't have done it without my mother, without friends, without my husband and without my family.
0: Your husband was very enlightened. I don't think there are very many Mexican men or US men. I mean it's changing, but for his time he was very enlightened to take a major role.
1: I think he I think he was and I think he still is. He is he's uh, uh he has been key for for my professional development. Not only that we are going to to celebrate um, next year, 40 years of marriage.
0: Congratulations.
1: Yes, but, but we had always supported each other and, and he was key to support me on all these decisions. So he, he, he really was very enlightened. And then he was crazy about his girls, his two daughters. So he was all the time taking care of them. That's fabulous.
0: Mm-hmm. And so then you became ambassador and he followed you. Well,
1: he was uh, the spokesman for the president of Mexico for international press when I became ambassador to Denmark, but he had been already ambassador to Ireland and consul general to Hong Kong. After, after I spent one year in Denmark, he was sent as ambassador to Finland. And, uh, and then for 12 years, we only saw each other on the weekends. And were the girls with you? At the beginning, the, the youngest one was with, with me. She was studying high school in uh, Copenhagen International School. Then she went to study hotel management in Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. And The eldest one was studying international relations at the London School of Economics. And then she, she joined Royal Dutch Shell and she was working in Aberdeen. So for several years, home was basically Copenhagen because my husband would fly from Helsinki and the girls would fly from Amsterdam and London, but it was not easy. And then I was posted to Turkey and he was posted to Romania. So there were no direct flights between Ankara and Bucharest, uh, different from Copenhagen, Helsinki, in which were there every day 11, 11 flights between Copenhagen and Helsinki.
0: And it was only an hour away or two hours away
1: one hour away, although to to fly in winter to Helsinki is something, huh? I can only imagine, right? <laughs> yes, but then, then you know what we did? We rented a small studio in Istanbul. And we met for a year and a half every weekend in Istanbul. So he would fly from Bucharest to Istanbul and I would fly from Ankara to Istanbul. And then we didn't have consulate in Istanbul, only the embassy in Ankara. So what I did is was to organize myself to arrive to Istanbul on a Wednesday night and then work Thursday and Friday in Istanbul, where is the economic center of Turkey more than Ankara and and the cultural center. So I would have, you know, meetings with business and and with cultural and, and with the people that you normally don't see in Ankara, which is more a political capital. And then he would arrive on Friday night and we will leave early Monday morning back to our posts.
0: That's amazing. What a story. Yes. I assume you've been an incredible role model for your own children. And so I know your daughter is living in Dubai, you told me, correct? Yes. And yes. She's still working. And I know she's a young mother. She's still working. She works in new business development
1: for the Middle East, for Royal Shell, still in Dubai. Uh, She's a very capable young woman, very bright. Fortunately, uh, she also has all the support from her husband. Her husband is a natural gas uh, LNG trader. So Mm -hmm. they are in the same business energy. So they support each other. Uh, but, But for her, it's a little bit more difficult. She
0: doesn't have family around to help. Of course. And so when you, when you look back, if, if you wanted to tell young women something about your life, that they should absorb and say, I've learned something, what, what would that be?
1: I think that one lesson is never give up. There are difficult times and times in which you want to say enough is enough and I'm going to do something else this is too hard, but don't give up. Never stop learning and preparing yourselves. If you have to go into a leave of absence for several reasons, because your husband is posted somewhere else or or because you have small children, always continue to prepare yourself. And then, of course, if possible, find a partner that shares your vision of the world. That means that really agrees with you that you you have the right and the need to have an independent professional development so i would say those three basic three or four basic things don't give up always continue to prepare yourself Uh, find someone that can accompany you in this vision of the world and and always uh learn to set Priorities, there are times in which the professional life or or the activities that you're doing in your professional lives are paramount, but other times in which family is key and you have to learn when to take those decisions and say, now my family goes first, now it's time for me for my professional development.
0: I guess I have two more questions. I'm sure I could, I have 20 more questions, but Mm -hmm. as you sit and you look, um, do you still find challenges in your professional life, being a woman? And how do you find Washington?
1: I think I have found challenges. You know, Mira, I, I, I'm going to show a book that has just come out. It's called Seat at the Table by Susan Sloan. And she was asking me this, are there many women seated at the table? And I said, no. If you go back to see the images where there's very difficult negotiations on tariffs and migration took place last year. The first meeting at the White House, we were two women on the Mexican side, me and Secretary Marquez, no woman at the American side. Not surprising. No. And so there is still this trend in which there are still very few women seated at the table. There should be more. There should be gender parity. But at the same time, when I read articles on how the women leaders have managed the COVID crisis much better than other colleagues, then it gives me hope that we are in the right direction. When you see people like Angela Merkel, like Jacinta Ardern, then I know that we are on the right track. But there are still many difficulties. There are not enough women seated at the table sometimes they're not taking seriously enough. And the approach of the women to negotiations, and this is sometimes uh, different to the one of the approach of men. Men tend to be in general, not always in general, more confrontational. And we women tend to try to reach consensus. So men normally thinks, oh, when I have a problem in front of me, I will deal with it. I always think that we women try to say, oh, our main purpose is to avoid problems, is to solve them before they become big. So uh, that is why I think it's so important to have women at the table and women at the decision-making processes because I'm sure that the the decisions taking will be less confrontational, less macho-oriented, to call them one way, and that we will be able to solve many issues when they are in the first stages instead of getting into the last stages of ultimatums.
0: I couldn't agree more. I think women try to find consensus. There is much less ego in the room, in my opinion, when you have women at the table um, than all men at the table. Now, if you went to the same meeting in Mexico, how many women would be at the table?
1: Well, now, the, the government of President López Obrador is almost gender parity in the cabinet. I think that the Foreign Ministry uh, there is one woman that is vice minister under secretary Marta Delgado out of the four. But the but but the head of the cooperation agency is also a woman. So I think in Mexico, it will be a little bit uh, more balanced. And of course, in Congress, we have gender parity. So I think in Mexico, it will be more balanced. But I must must say that we have to take care that still many of the women taking part in political life and this, they still think some of them with a man mentality. We have to compete, we have to succeed, and it doesn't matter how we get there. And I think the important thing is to be at the table while at the same time preserving this gender approach of saying, I will not succeed, you know, leaving corpses behind me, but I will do it in a different way. The other day I was chatting with the Minister of Interior of Mexico and she said that, um, you know, she's the one who deals with all the governors and she said that even some of the governors were surprised that she was not calling them to give them orders or say you have to do this, but to ask them, how are you seeing this problem, how are you going to solve this? And sometimes also the men misread these attitudes for weakness so to get the right balance on how to create consensus how to be respectful without the other thinking that you're weak that's the challenge right that is the challenge i think for women particularly for women and do you see it changing in the next generation oh yes oh yes i see the next generation much more uh self-conscious much more empowered but but I also think that they have a lot of challenges in front of them. And now this COVID is even changing the world in a way that we still don't understand. And then one of the big challenges that it's going to be related to gender, but also is how to combine the individual freedoms with the community needs you know, the huge debate for years between libertarians and communitarians in philosophical arena. And, and this also has to, to do a lot on what would be the role of gender in, in, this, in these issues. And, uh, and we have seen also in this pandemic that, for example, a lot of essential workers are women. Absolutely nurses, you know, cleaners at hospitals, not to say doctors. even farm workers, doctors. And uh, and this is something, uh, I think this pandemic will, it needs to make us think in, in a different way. On gender, on what is essential, on who needs to be better paid, on how to recognize uh, the people that maybe we take for granted while they are doing really an incredible job and guaranteeing us food in our tables, uh, you know, health assistance. So I think we will need to be much more generous and to have compassion and empathy and as two of the main characteristics for the future. And I think uh, women are, in general, very good for compassion and empathy.
0: I couldn't agree more. And I think that COVID-19 is changing so many, so many different lives. And and we don't know what the outcome is going to be or how it's going to be. Um, But I think it's also teaching us something very important, which is we have to stop. We have to think about friends. We have to think about family. Because I think we've lost so much perspective. Um, You know, So many of our leaders are just talking about hate they're not talking about all of the really great qualities about where we are today. So, I think COVID-19 has certainly made me rethink about what's important in life.
1: I I couldn't agree with you more. I I think it's it's time to reflect, to think and to find our way forward together as families as an extended community with friends and in this case in what is the future for us together as as mexico and the us what do we have uh, in the future for both of us
0: i totally agree with that i think that you know it's a very short sighted view when my country thinks that our lives and our countries Aren't intricately linked. We depend so much on each other. And this idea that, you know, we talk so much about the supply chain. To yes. me, we shouldn't care. The supply chain should be a North American or a hemispheric supply chain. And I yes. think it's critical. And this is, we've got to bring these values back.
1: And I hope that we will be able to to work on this, so uh, let's see what the future is. But, but I think we need to listen a lot to the younger generations. Uh, I think that is is key, and, and be able to try to answer their questions, try to support them, and try to give them confidence that better times will come, because it's not easy now, and I know they are feeling uh, a little bit, um, you know, Perplexed, flabbergasted. So what is future going to to bring to us? And it's not very clear.
0: You know, young people are graduating from university and they don't have jobs, and they don't mm-hmm. they don't know how to build their own their own lives. And you know, a generation where people are very used to being networked and close to each other because of social media is required right now to abandon that sense. Of uh, community yes. and I think that's very serious. yes so it was a great pleasure to talk to you Susan thank you so much no you're welcome thank you for listening I'm your host Susan Siegel this podcast was produced by Luis Aleme, Sarah Bonds and Elizabeth Gonzalez the music in this podcast was recorded at the America Society in New York City Check out our concerts online, musicoftheamericas.org. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please write a review, share, and subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you happen to get your podcasts.